Ephesians. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. And so I, I'd like you to, to turn there with me if you can. Um, as you turn there, I want to talk to you about this letter of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be here. This is a new series we're starting. If you, if you, if you have the ability to, uh, on Crossway Bookstore or Lifeway.com, Crossway.com, Lifeway.com, you can get a, an ESV scripture journal, I think is what it's called there. I think they're like five bucks a piece if that's something you would like. They also have them on Amazon, I believe. The reason I say this is because if you're a note taker, maybe you want uh, maybe you want something like this. So it has scripture on one side, blank sheet on the other, and you can feel free to take notes. Um, not, not that I'm saying that everything that I say you're going to want to make sure you write down. Instead, rather, what I think would be of immense benefit to you is in between Sundays for you to study over the book of Ephesians for yourself. Write down your own observations. Write down your own questions. Write down your own thoughts. And as we go through this together... Hopefully, then, that will help enrich our time together on Sunday. So you can write down the things I say if you want. I would rather you spend that time in Ephesians writing down your own thoughts, your own questions, your own observations, because I believe uh, Ephesians to be a very rich book indeed. In fact, I want to read to you some quotes from, from some folks. Um, this letter to Ephesians is absolutely concise in, in its doctrine and deep in its theology. Uh, it was John Calvin's favorite letter. Uh, Armitage Robinson called it the crown of Paul's writings. Yes, even over Romans, believe it or not, right? Um, William Barclay calls Ephesians the queen of the epistles. Uh, the English poet Samuel Taylor Coolidge termed it, uh, this book, the divinest composition of man. John Mackey, former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, who was converted at the age of 14 because of this book, reading through the book of Ephesians, calls it the greatest, maturest, and for our time, maybe even the most relevant of all of Paul's writings. This letter is pure music, he says. I, I, I love that statement. Uh, Ruth Paxton called Ephesians the Grand Canyon of Scripture, meaning that it is breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who tries to take it all in. So Ephesians is profound, absolutely. Absolutely. And some, some of the things we're going to talk about as we go through Ephesians are things like why we worship, why we should pray, and how we should pray. What is so amazing about God's grace? We're going to touch on that some today. Who are we? You know, who are you? Um, some of you got it. Some of you got it. I was kind of baiting myself, although I wasn't born when that song came out. It's one of my faves. Um, who should we, or what, what should we pray for and how should we pray? As a church body, how can we be unified? What does it mean to be a new person? What does a new personhood look like? How can we imitate God? What is God's plan for our marriage? How does it look for God uh, to give us, uh, uh, what should godly parenting look like? How should we see our vocation and how do we fight these spiritual battles? All those things are things we're going to look like uh, as, as we go through Ephesians. Now, you see a map in front of you. This is where things maybe can get wonky. Let's uh, try this together, right? And so here's what I want to try to do with you. Um, so as you can see on the map, uh, here's Rome. Did that work? Yay. Okay. Hasn't exploded so far. There's Rome. Okay. Uh, this letter is going to be written by Paul while he's in prison in Rome. Probably uh, AD 60, 62, somewhere around there. This letter, along with Colossians and uh, Thessalonians, 
uh, are, are going to be written probably around the same time. They may have actually all been written at the same time and then distributed uh, as uh, also Philemon as he sends these back to these, these other churches, okay? Uh, I know it's really small up there, and that's why I, I was trying to do this. So of Ephesus is right there, okay? Uh, Ephesus, uh, just so you can know more about it, I'll tell you that in a minute, and I'm going to put up a, a screen uh, view of the city, or at least an artist r- rendition of it. And so the other thing you need to know is uh, Tarsus, and then all this, uh, Mount Hebron, all this area down here, uh, that is where uh, Jerusalem is, and, and that area where the Jews and Paul and, and all this teaching began. Does, does that make sense? From Christ, right? And so this is a, a, a map of that time period and where those uh, things are. Now, here is the artist transition of the Ephesus city. Um, so what was it like? Well, Ephesus was the capital uh, of Asia Minor, so the Roman capital. So it was a huge metropolis. Uh, they had, uh, th- this, was, this was the gateway to the east. So any spice trade, any physical goods, they all kind of came through Ephesus, right? You've, you've heard of the, like maybe the spice road or something like that. So with Rome and Ephesus over to the, to the other parts of the, of the Middle East, uh, Asia Minor, uh, Asia Major, all those things, they would come through Ephesus because it was a great seaport. You can see there on the screen how it had that, uh, that inlet. And so this was off of a, uh, uh, the Sistine River that would come in from the Aegean coast. That was the Aegean Sea that you saw there. This port was, was huge. Uh, it was a huge commercial link. Merchants flocked to it. It was a, 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 uh, a melting pot, if you will, where Jews, Gentiles, uh, folks from over in, in Asia, all those people would kind of melt together here. And in fact, as you can see on the screen, and now we'll try this again and see if it doesn't explode again here. Um, you can see up here on the screen, uh, that is a temple of Artemis, which was a uh, very licentious god that they would serve. It was a, a huge temple. Uh, I mean, just just an absolutely huge temple. It would also function as the bank to Asia. So wealth, political influence, whatever you want, whenever you want it, it's all here. Can we relate, Americans? Probably, right? And, and so people would come in through this, through this harbor here. Okay? They would come in through that harbor. They would travel up this main road. And then here was this theater. It was this, it was this coliseum, if you will. It was uh, as large, if not larger, than the Pantheon. It could, hard, uh, it could hold thousands of people at a time. And so this was a hub of entertainment, of wealth, of might and power. And so all of these things, all of these things that go along with that are what Paul is encountering and what he had to encounter while he launched this church. Now, if you want a cross-study, you can read through Acts. I believe it's Acts 22, maybe a little earlier in there. You can get through this section where it talks about his time over there in Ephesus. Here's some interesting facts, too. Priscilla and Aquila were probably some of the co-founders with Paul on his second missionary journey there. Uh, Paul then pastored this on his third missionary journey, and he would establish this church more fully during his third missionary journey, and then he would leave Timothy there to pastor Ephesus for a while after he left. Okay. Now also what you need to know is the letter to Ephesus was written 10 years after this. So Paul's been gone for 10 years. 
He's in prison as he writes this letter to the people who are in Ephesus as we get the title Ephesians. The last thing I want to tell you before we jump into the text is that this letter itself is also thought of by scholars to probably be a letter that was supposed to be circulated. And that is why, like other letters that Paul writes, you don't have a lot of personal greetings in it. Okay, So as we go through Ephesus, you're going to see that it's more general. And the reason is, is they think that this was just a letter sent to them and then to be uh, sent to all the Asia Minor churches that were around that area at the time. Does that make sense a little bit to you? So as we get in, we're going to just look at the greeting for this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And this is the greeting to the saints who are faithful there in Ephesus. That is a loaded term, isn't it? I sent out a text. What's it mean to be a saint? Are you a saint or aren't you? Uh, and is that just a Catholic thing? And, and, and how does that matter to us in today's uh, 21st or 22nd, I don't know what it is, 22nd century, 21st century, whatever. In modern American Christianity, what does it mean to be a saint? What does that look like? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We ask that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would bless us as we hear your recorded word by the Apostle Paul to the people of Ephesus. God, we know that it is your will that we too would be faithful saints here in Allegan. So as we open this most wonderful word, that as a Grand Canyon will take us even our whole lifetime, to explore its depths and its riches, we ask that you might impact your people this morning. Even today, as you have impacted your people over the years because of this letter. That we might glean by your spirit that which you have had for us this day and for our lifetime. And so we ask, give us today our daily bread. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we start, as you look at that, I want to first take you to this section. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a weighty, weighty greeting, even in the beginning of it, and I will not have enough time to exhaust it for you. So go home, look at it more on your own, and you can continue to glean more and more out of it. But the things I have for you from it this morning are simply this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Here's a quote that I have for you that I wanted to read, which says this. Paul could well confess that he was the greatest of sinners, yet he could still speak of God because it was God's will for him to do so. That's a quote by Brian Chappell. And so the first point that I have in this, you can follow along on, in your copy of God's Word, is that in Christ, Paul is no longer Saul. In Christ, Paul is no longer Saul. And that might seem kind of funny to you or strange or weird or why would you say that? It's very obvious to you that he's writing this is Paul. But I want to tell you about this author, about this man. This man, Paul, and why this matters to us, he was named Saul originally in Acts 13.9. From that point on, he is always referred to Paul. From that point previous to this, he is referred to as Saul. Now, he will refer to himself sometimes as Saul when he relates uh, his story about when that name was changed. But after this, and this is the beginning of his ministry to the Gentiles, all right? And, and so he was both a Jew 
as well as a Roman citizen. And so his Jewish name was Saul, after probably King Saul, right? He was of the tribe and the lineage of Benjamin, of which Saul was also a part of that tribe. In fact, he gives kind of his autobiography in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason of, for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason of confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee. So he's going to give his own personal testimony of who he is there. You can read that in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. But he's both a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, but also a Roman citizen. In Acts 22, uh, he talks about this where he's, uh, they were going to stretch him out to whip him because of his testimonies. And, and some of this in Ephesus, if you remember, if you read through Acts, there was the time when the silversmiths actually came together because of this temple of Artemis. This temple of Artemis, uh, or, or Diana, depends on which version you read, or if you're talking Greek, or if you're talking Roman deities and things like that, but Diana, Artemis, this love god with their temple prostitutes, they were making these statues out of silver, and, and because of the converts that Paul was winning to the truth of the gospel, they were furious. And so he's both a, a Roman citizen, and he asks, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's yet uncondemned, and yet a Jew born, born in Tarsus, remember I circled that Tarsus there in, the, in, this, in Sicily, brought up and educated at the feet of Gamaliel, this wonderful Jewish scholar, and uh, being very zealous for the fathers. Now this is Paul's personal autobiography, both a Roman citizen, Paul, and then a Jew, Saul. But there's more than a name in just that, right? If you're familiar with your Old Testament, what happens to have somebody's name be changed? they too have to be changed. I mean, think about it. Going all the way back to our great, 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 great grandfather, uh, whether in the flesh or in the faith, Abraham, who was firstly Abram, and then his name was changed to Abraham, right? And so Paul had this encounter with Christ on the road of Damascus where his name was changed. That's why it matters in Christ, Paul is no longer Saul. Let me ask you, what kind of testimony do you have? Because Paul was a persecutor of the church. He gives this testimony in Acts 26 of when he was called and, and, and how he has this. But what you need to understand here is he used to persecute the church. He held coats when they stoned Stephen to death. He cheered them on. On his road to Damascus encounter with Jesus, what he was doing is seeking to find Christian house churches to give them over to the police. He was the first member of Geshkapo, so to speak. It's interesting that later then Adolf would use that same kind of thing to flesh out the Jews. And so Paul, one of the original genocidal persecutors of the church, Saul, Saul, a faithful Jew, as to the law, a Pharisee. Saul, one who was so zealous for Judaism that he was seeking to kill Christians, had an experience with Jesus. And his name has changed. And that's why it's interesting here that he starts his letter, as they all do back then. You know, that's not only for you to understand who it comes from, because they didn't have postage marks and address labels and you know it was a guy on a ship with a scroll and then on a horse with a scroll and then on foot with a scroll who would deliver it to your door and then you'd have to unravel it to see who it was from so Paul 
Not only that, but let us think about Ephesians, let us think about the New Testament as a whole. This is Paul, the one who is the, the outreach to the Gentile nation. By the very reason who, writing letters like this, you and I, probably most of us in this room, or maybe all of us in this room, Gentiles. Thank you, Paul. And we see here in this first section here, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the will of God. How in the world could it possibly be God's will to take a man like Saul, change his name, and then give him the authority of apostleship? Which apostle is a designated messenger with the sense of authority. It's a transliteration there, apostle. And so this Paul, who used to be Saul, because he's in Christ, is no longer Saul, but instead he's Paul. And so, yeah, the who. Who are you? Who, who? I really want to know. Because in Christ, right, you are no longer whoever you were before. I don't know how many of you have a testimony like mine. I wish that I could have had a physical name change. I wish that God had given that to me. But I can tell you this, in his book of life, my name is now no longer sinner. It is saint. And that's why he continues the way he continues. And so as we continue along with his greeting, there is so much more, like his authority, his, uh, his exposition of the divine will of God, the difference between decreed will or commanded will. I encourage you to study these things out of how God's will, it could be still God's will, to allow a persecutor of the church to be an apostle. But the second part I want to take you to, we're going to skip the middle and go down to the end there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you noticing a theme even in his greeting? It's all Christ. Thank you, sister. It's all Christ. And so uh, a quote here from Warren Wiersbe about this section that I have for you is this. The believer is in the world physically but not of the world spiritually. I love this illustration. Like a scuba diver, he exists in an alien environment because he possesses special equipment. In this case, for us, he says, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. That's from Warren Wearsby. And so this second, although the bottom of his section there, the point that I have for you in that is, in Christ we have grace and peace. Remember to who is writing and to whom he is writing it to. So let's just camp just for a minute on Paul for a little bit longer. This Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, how in the world can he ever go to anyone and tell anybody about the gospel? This was the same conversation I had with my college pastor when I became a Christian. I thought, God, man, you don't even know my life before Christ. If you did know my life before Christ, you would say, yeah, John, you're probably disqualified for the ministry. And he said, can I tell you about a, a guy named Paul? You see, in Christ we have grace. Does anybody know what grace is? I'm serious. Shout it out. This isn't rhetorical at this point. That's okay. What's grace? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What's another definition we might have of grace? Grace. Undeserved favor, yeah. Unconditional acceptance. 
grace. So how can Paul, a Jew, with a totally different culture, travel to Ephesus and deliver the gospel to a bunch of pagans who worship at the temple of Artemis, who are bound up in physical manifestations of wealth and power and uh, entertainment? How? Because of grace. How can Paul travel and be shipwrecked and bitten by poisonous snakes and beaten by silversmiths as an, and imprisoned for years, tied to the leg of another Roman soldier? By the way, I believe that Roman soldier became a Christian. How could he not, right? How could he not? And then, and then he had the joy of sitting under Paul's teaching every day when he went to work. Like, I can't wait to clock in today. I get to go be with St. Paul again. How can he do that? How can he be in prison and yet write letters of encouragement to those people in Ephesus who he has not seen in 10 years? How? Because of grace. Now let's talk about those who are in Ephesus. How can they live different? How can they ever hope to walk down their streets where even today there is an inscription in stone telling sailors who make it to port where they can find the nearest brothel. How can they, in a society, be totally different and other than their neighbors? Because of grace. Because God is going to give them the power. God is going to give them the scuba tank and the glasses and the fins to be able to swim the way that he needs to swim and to see the things and interact the way that they need to interact, it is a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Paul for a minute. What can keep Paul from deep despair and depression as he is then persecuted for this gospel? Peace. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really struggle with my past sins, my past life. Sometimes I really struggle with interacting with other people who have similar testimonies and similar stories than me, but maybe uh, they're a less mature Christian than I am, and so I have, I have difficulty you know, tolerating them or something like that. How can Paul, somebody who knows the Bible so well, suffer those ignorant Gentiles in Ephesus? Because of peace. You see, the peace that we have in Christ isn't just vertical, although that is the peace that we have in Christ. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God without the cross. That's the whole point of that sermon, right? Sinners in the hands of an angry God except for Christ. And because of Christ, therefore, peace. He now intercedes on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with God. It is a vertical sense of peace, but it is also a horizontal sense of peace. In Christ, there is no black or white, or Asian or Hispanic or any other. There is only one human race. In Christ, in Christ, there is no rich or poor. There is no uh, uneducated or educated. There's no male or female. There's no, no slave or free. In Christ, there is peace. In Christ, there is marital peace. In Christ, there is fatherly and motherly and child peace. 
You see, that's why the book of Ephesus is so, uh, Ephesians is so rich. Because Paul, for the rest of his letter, is going to tease out these things. In Christ you are new. In Christ there is grace and peace. In Christ you are steadfast and faithful. And so as we look at these things like grace and peace, I want you, for you to understand, beloved, that in Christ you have that. And you may not always feel it. And that's okay, because the world tries to tell us that if you don't feel it, it's not real. That's why you have Hollywood movies of, uh, you know, what was it, Elsa's sister who wanted to fall in love and marry the guy she just met. And even in that Disney movie, Elsa was like, that's dumb. Yeah! Yes, because we can't just be led by our feelings all the time. We have to be led by the truth of God's word. And in Christ Jesus, we have grace and peace. Amen. Even if you don't feel like it. And so that brings me to my third, and what you might have guessed now, the middle section of what Paul, his greeting to the Ephesians are. And this is why I sent out this text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Amazing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. To the saints who are in Ephesus and, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I have a quote again for you, this one from John MacArthur. If you are in Christ, then Christ's riches are your riches. His resources are your resources. His righteousness is your righteousness. His power is your power. Here it is. His position is your, is our position. Where he is, we are. And what he has, we have. That quote is from John MacArthur. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so the point for us this morning become faithful saints. In Christ, sinners become faithful saints. What is a saint? A saint is not somebody who's holding their fingers funny on an art sculpture in the Vatican. Okay? I mean, I guess supposedly that that is. But what is a saint? A saint is you. A saint is us. There's a song. I don't remember the author. Maybe you can Google it. I want to say it's Jimmy Needham. It's not one of his great hits or anything like that, but there's a, a, a song that he sings, I believe it's Jimmy, Jimmy Needham, who talks about he took a stain and turned it to saint. Isn't it interesting? Those are the same letters, right? Same letters. You just bother them. My wife always beats me at that. You can probably imagine why. I just make up words, and I use slang all the time, right? But saint, same letters, redirect it. Now it's saint. That's us. By the power of the cross, by in Christ, because he is holy, we are holy. That's what saint means, to be set apart, to be set apart for the purposes of God. You can be no more set apart than Christ. And in Christ, that's who we are. Imagine this for the people in Ephesus. I guess you don't have to, because imagine that for yourself today, here in America. You know, you may not feel like a saint. What is that, Almond Joy, right? 
Sometimes you feel like a saint. Sometimes you don't. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter how you feel because Jesus has purchased this. Jesus has given you this. This is your inheritance in Christ. For the people in Ephesus, as Paul writes this, he says, you are a saint. It's not something that the church can give you because you've, you've died and you've performed a couple miracles before you went and your, your life stands up to that. You're a saint right now. Miracles excluded. Because the only miracle that matters is the miracle of a dead man being brought to life, which happened in the tomb. And then that was attributed to you if you are in Christ Jesus. And so if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. And everything that includes with that. This is your condition. This is your position. This is your inheritance. And that's what it means to be faithful in Christ. To be faithful in Christ is to never forget that. To never allow Satan or his demons whispering in your ear to tell you that you're less than because somebody else who spoke the stars into existence said, no, 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 you are no longer Saul, you're Paul. And because of that, you have grace and peace. And that grace and peace is the equipment by the Holy Spirit that you're going to need to then be faithful in your sainthood to what you were called to and the name that you've now been given. You want to know what your name is? It's been changed. Your name is no longer fill in the blank. It's saint. And so with all of that, I just want to encourage you with this. In Revelation chapter 2, John writes a letter to the city of Ephesus. In John chapter 2, he writes this letter to, to the city of Ephesus, and, and this is what he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not gone weary. Great. But here's what he says in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Don't lose your love. If Christ calls you a saint, if the gospel is true, then it is true. John Stott says, Many of our spiritual troubles arise from our failure to remember that we are citizens of two kingdoms. It's that tension between the already and the not yet. You may not feel like a saint, but you are. You may not feel like you have grace and peace, but you do. You may not feel like your name has been changed, but it has. And most, many of our spiritual troubles arise from our failure to remember this. We tend to either to pursue Christ and withdraw from the world or to become preoccupied with the world and forget that we are also in Christ. And that's not what Paul says to them and that's not what Paul wants for you. To these saints, that's what they are. They're in Ephesus, but they're faithful in Christ. Let that be true of you. Because that, this letter to the people in Ephesus is the same letter Paul writes to you. And I can't wait to look at the rest with you. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this letter of Paul. We ask it to bless our hearts and our minds, to feed our souls. God, we thank you that we have been given a new name, that, that we have been given grace and peace, and that you, we are saints. But God, I also want to pray right now for those who might be listening to this, either online or here in person. Maybe they're still struggling with this. 
Maybe they're still wondering about their identity. God, I pray that right now that they would choose you, that they would accept salvation, that they would receive forgiveness, that they would be counted as your children, as Paul is going to talk about, that they would be adopted, that they would be redeemed, that they would be sanctified, that they would be saved by the blood of Christ. And so for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior,